It's back. Welcome back. Episode 25 of Icebreaker. AJ, how was your week? Uh, my week was good, Mac. I, uh, I appreciate mustache. It looks, it looks great. Yes, and we'll get more into the mustaches in a bit. But thank you for noticing, and I noticed a little bit uh, something above your upper lip as well. It's not growing in very fast at all. We'll talk about that in a bit. Before we get going, I just want to say episode 25 Icebreaker is presented by Pemina Source for Sports, 2077 Pemina Highway. It's sourceforsports.ca, and they know their stuff, now offering a variety of contactless service options to get you in your gear. So check them out. And... uh, yeah, what a week. What a week it was. Super warm here. Here in Winnipeg, yeah, but I don't think that's going to last. Um, shout out to anybody who's listening in like Saskatchewan and Alberta who legitimately got dumped on. Yeah. <laughs> that system looked really gnarly. That's true. Right off the top, did you see any of the college ball on Saturday? Well, I had to. I had to tune in for SNL at 10.30 and it was double overtime in one of these historic college ball games. That was a, man, what a good finish to it too. Crazy finish, but then the stadium crowded the field. Well, and that was the thing. So do you have the number on it? I don't actually remember. I don't, but it was packed. How many straight? They had won 32 or 36. It was somewhere in that area. Um, Notre Dame knocks them out in double overtime. And I don't even know how many people were allowed in that stadium, but somehow there were one and a half million football fans on the field after I know. the game. <laughs> I know. Like crazy. It's just, in my opinion, not a great look at the moment, but I understand the sure joy of what happened that night. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? If you ever get a chance, I don't know if you can find it on YouTube, but the announcer made one very sly reference to it. They were laughing kind of at the crowd and they said, boy, that's a celebration on the field. And one of the announcers went, I don't know, a lot of social distancing. And they kind of, <laughs> what, do you, what do you say? He acknowledged yeah. it. but Yeah, no. And you're right, SNL, I was tuning in as well because it was going to be a big SNL and it was border security. <laughs> Border security was on. That was the thing. And that, you know what? I think that united Canada because it depended where you were watching. If you were watching on NBC, that's where the football game was. Okay. Right. If you turn it on global, Canada got a rerun of border security. I can only imagine what they were scrambling to do at global. Yeah. This football game's still going. I don't know, man. Throw on a border security. And uh, did you see the part where they took away the part of the guy's eggs? Yes. Yes, I did. I did. And it united Canada even more than the states was united over an election. Uh, we all got to see that poor sucker lose their eggs that they tried. His eggs to and his sausage. <laughs> Gone. Don't bring that into the country if you're ever coming here. Too funny. Um, you watch any of the football today? I watched a lot of the football today. It's weird. Normally, I'm only watching Cincy games, but because they had the bye week, I got to check out more than more than a few games. Um, really had my eye on the Steelers and the Cowboys. That was such a fun game to watch. Everybody thought the Steelers who were undefeated were just going to blow out these whatever backup team of the Cowboys they're putting out there right now. And uh, what was that quarterback's name? I'm not going to remember his name. He's what a fourth stringer, but he was really fun to watch. It was a really close game. I have the name right on the tip of my tongue too, but as we... Pardon? It's a Garrett. I remember his last name's Garrett because they kept making the reference to Garrett right. the coach and Garrett the quarterback. Uh, before we get uh, going, yeah, uh, 
the Pittsburgh Steelers, like you said, are undefeated. And you had mentioned your Bengals. Well, that is a matchup next week. And I'm going to go ahead and say for this week's Manitoba Building Trades hot take that the Pittsburgh Steelers' undefeated record will be no more after they play Joe Burrow and the Bengals next week. Oh, my. Don't toy with my emotions like that. I'm going for it. Here's why I like I, I like your confidence, but here's why I don't like that hot take. Uh, if you've been listening to this podcast, you'll know that we are <laughs> rotten on the on the hot takes. And I really want the Bengals to win that game. So you picking them puts them to jeopardy. But that's a that's a strong pick just because Joe Burrow and the team seem to be meshing right now on the Bengals, right? So well, and they got an extra week of practice. And I don't know if anybody was watching that Steelers game, but Ben Roethlisberger came up a little gimpy on his knee too. So Things are lining up. Manitoba Building Trades Hot Take. It's not just any project. It's the opportunity of a lifetime. It's about building something great for Manitoba. That's why you turn to the talent and craftsmanship of Manitoba's expert tradespeople. Manitoba Building Trades is Manitoba's unionized construction industry. Productive labor is our business. With over 10,000 skilled trade professionals, we build what others can only imagine. Visit mbtrades.ca and come build with us. So we will see if we get this one to pay off and we will know next week by the time we record. Yes. Yes, absolutely. We're going to need a chalkboard up in the background there. (laughs) Well, we don't need a chalkboard. It's just over six. (laughs) Over. Well, it only needs the one word. I like that. Over. uh, NBA announced a 72-game schedule. Do you think they're going to fit all 72 games in? I saw that they're starting like three days before Christmas. Mm -hmm. I guess they can fit all 72 games in. Why would they announce that? But yeah, I mean, I think the break that these guys have is super short. (laughs) Could you imagine though, and this is maybe acting a little bit greedy, but coming up around Christmas time, all of a sudden we're going to have Christmas NBA and Boxing Day World Juniors. I know. It's going to have that abundance of sports to watch again. You remember that week that everything came back and we didn't know what to do? It's going to be like that again. (laughs) Yeah, we completely overloaded our senses, but still... Uh, that could be the case right around Christmas if the NBA gets it off the ground. Which, I mean, I like watching basketball. I don't know about you, but I feel like it just ended. <laughs> oh, it did. It very much did. <laughs> it did. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, we were talking before the show. And we were, not even before the show, like during the week. And we were, said, should we do and fundraise for November? I want to I want to stop you there Mac actually because uh I feel like I really got suckered into this. I feel like I got talked into growing this mustache. So I'm actually looking up the text right now. Uh you said should we do a November and I said I don't think so and you said yeah let's do it. So <laughs> like a text message. Yeah, there, there you go. And so, uh, but yeah, yeah, we both are uh, now growing mustaches. And uh, do you want to take over from here? We're going to have a little bit of a challenge going on. Yeah. So first and foremost, we're growing mustaches and raising awareness and and hopefully some money for men's mental health and awareness around that. And you can donate. There'll be a QR code in the video. And then also on our social channels, there'll be a link uh, to donate. If you're so inclined, we would really appreciate that. But yes, the challenge that you have mentioned is that we're going to set our goal right now as of this is technically week one for us Yeah, at $500. And if we get to $500, what happens? 
Well, I, you know what you said you <laughs> you said you would scrounge up some uh, some goalie equipment, and if we make it to five hundred dollars, we'll get out on the rink. I'll wear the goalie pads, and Mac, I'll let you crack some shots at me. You know a thing or two about playing hockey. Uh, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely not the the athletic type, but I think I'll take some shots for uh, for men's mental health. But well, I. I... Please, if you're listening to this, please donate and get us to $500 because I'm very, very much looking forward to be able to do that. Would you be wearing skates or not skates? I didn't think about it. Can you wear just normal skates when you're wearing goalie pads? Yeah, you, you can do you that. the short ones, the short no, skates. You can wear the normal ones. You know what? Then I'm on skates, buddy, for sure. <laughs> yeah, and then we'll film this. We'll, yeah. we'll put it out. Yeah, we're, we're going to have, I, I think we can distance. <laughs> Listen, man, you could shoot from the hash marks, and I'm pretty sure I'm not going to stop it. So, um, yeah, we'll get a bucket of pucks. We'll get the equipment. We'll get out to the rink. $500 is what we're putting on that. And that if we go any higher than that, oh, God. We'll, we'll uh, cross that bridge when we get there. Yeah. <laughs> I have another, another question for you that we have not talked about, but it just popped into my head. Yeah. At the end of November... Yeah. We post both our selfies on the Icebreaker Show social media accounts. Okay. And we say, who's Mo is better. And the loser then donates a portion that we can come up with at a later time. But the loser donates after that. Adds a little bit more to the total. Oh, wow. That's a betting man's game. I've never seen you. Here's why I don't like it. If you're listening, you can't see Mac's evil grin. He's seen me full beard, and I've never seen you with the uh, with a mustache. So I'm assuming that you're going to grow a big Lanny McDonald. No, you're giving me right too much the, credit. Right on the upper lip. Uh, yeah, you know what? Well, I'd, I'd be willing to do that. Absolutely, we'll put a little side bet going. Two bets now, and after you talk me into November. Yes. After we decided together to do Movember. So once again, you can go check it out on Icebreaker Show with two W's, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. The link is there. And then also if you're watching on YouTube, the uh, QR code is in the bottom right of your screen and just scan that with your phone and, you know, you get on there, donate if you're so inclined. We uh, would really appreciate that. And I would love, love to to shoot some pucks at AJ. So please help me do that. (laughs) Great guest on the show today, Winnipeg Ice head coach James Patrick. Played a long time in the National Hockey League, then was an assistant coach in the National Hockey League for 11 seasons, and now currently, as I mentioned, is the head coach of the Winnipeg Ice. So without further ado, joined by the head coach of the Winnipeg Ice, James Patrick. Uh, Thanks for taking the time. My pleasure. I've got plenty of it these days. (laughs) I guess we'll jump right into it. Uh, You played uh, 20-plus years in the NHL. Uh, against a lot of good players. Who do you remember most as being one one or two of the best? Uh, the hardest player for me to play against um, was Mary Lemieux. Um, I, so, I mean, I'm, of the places I played, um, 10 years in New York, um, all 10 were, you know, Pittsburgh was the same division. You play those teams seven times a year. Um, and then even my last six years playing in Buffalo, Mario made his comeback and, and played maybe two or three of those years against him. Um, and one of them, I mean, just, uh, I mean, to, to talk about what an incredible player, but, um, 
in Buffalo, we were leading game six, playing Pittsburgh. Um, Mario tied it up with um, the goalie pulled. I should, I'll never forget this goal because we, I mean, it was the second round. And uh, I mean, you win the second round, you're going to the semifinals. But uh, uh, Mar they pulled their goalie and Mario scored with about 20 seconds left, tied it. And then we lost in overtime in game seven when uh, Darius Kasparaitis uh, scored the winner. And um, it was, it was, uh, uh, Dominic Hasek's last year in Buffalo and, and we had, you know, Dougie Gilmore and um, we had brought him in. We had, I mean, we had a real good team with, um, with Pekka and, and uh, just, you know, just a number of good players, but uh, we had, we felt we had a chance. Um, and so, um, so the, even at the end of my career, but certainly at the beginning in when Mario was in his prime, he was virtually unstoppable. Um, and I used to play a lot against him. Um, you know, for some of those years would get the, the top matchups. And I can remember playing him as, you know, one-on-one -on -one as good as possible and playing tight and not giving him any room. And then he would still find a way to reach around you with his, you know, six foot five reach and, and make a pass to someone who would, who would get a scoring chance or goal. Um, you would back off, you know, you, you'd say, okay, I'm going to not play him so tight. And he, I, I, he would drive wide pull up and take a slap shot and score. He could beat you in any way. He was so strong on the puck. He was deceptively fast. He was incredibly shifty. He had incredible vision. Um, so I would, you know, in my era, you know, Gretzky, I think, deserves the right to be called the greatest player ever and with what he did. But um, at the peak of their talents, I don't know if anyone could reach, you know, how good Mario really was. With that size, that speed, that strength, that vision, that shot, um, it was, it, you know, he, 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 I had, I remembered stories of center Iceman who would, you know, Mario would lose the draw, lose the draw, lose the draw. Like he would just, he would let the other center win it. But then when it was an important draw that, you know, he had to, had to win it, he would, I mean, he would beat you so clean or so quickly, or then, you know, he, he'd almost set you up most of the night. He didn't care about his face-off stats, but he'd let you win them, let you win them. Then late in the game, as you're trying to win it, he'd poke it through your legs, step forward, pass it in front, and, you know, and you'd get, you'd get beat in a lot of different ways. So a um, lot of stories about him and uh, obviously cancer affected his career, but he was, I mean, uh, in my era and I play, I was fortunate, you know, when you play that long, you play against, you know, I was able to play against Brian Trauche and Mike Bossy and, and Marcel Dion and great guys at the end of that era. And then you came into the Gretzky Mestier, um, you know, the Edmonton, the, you know, the Calgary, you know, when Calgary had phenomenal teams and a lot of depth, uh, you know, when the Jets, you know, when Howard Chuck was in his prime, great, great players. And Mario came, you know, into that era. And, and then, you know, at the end of my career, Joe Sackick and Forsberg and, um, you know, at Forsberg, talk about a guy hard to play against in his prime. Um, Mario's the greatest I ever played against. Forsberg might have been the strongest player in the puck and, and the smartest player. So um, a lot of, I was fortunate to play. <laughs> Not so fortunate sometimes, but uh, I guess um, it was a challenge, put it that way. And I know in conversations that we've had, um, Yarmir Yager has often come up as one of those players as well. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I put him right beside Mario. And I just think, you know, what Mario did for the game, did for Pittsburgh. But Yager, 
people think about Yager when he was 40. I mean, I think he played till 45. Go back and watch watch him when he was 25 and watch him compared to everyone else. He was a 240, 235 pound man who could skate and had incredible hands. Who was, I mean, I, I think, I believe Yermer Yager is responsible for the biggest shift in the game in the last 30 years. And that was the, the collapse that everyone plays now. And I just know that he was so unstoppable down low. One guy could not handle him. One defenseman could not handle him. That you had to outnumber him. And like I know, at, at, I can't remember what year it was, um, 2000, 2001, you know, 2002 in that era, in Buffalo, we just, you know, our coaches just said, we don't care about covering the points. We're, we're bringing all, and when we play, uh, when we play Yager, we want our winger coming right down low. We want our center and defenseman trying to check. You couldn't, you know, he would just turn his back on you and play keep away. So you needed two guys to try and get off his pocket, off his stick. And then he, you know, was good enough that he can make plays to find the open guy. But we, you know, I'm not saying we were the first team because a lot of teams just started collapsing and that kind of defense is, is the way most teams defend nowadays. But um, so he is, um, I mean, he's, for me, he's probably like one B next to to Mario as as the hardest player I ever played against. And if you look back and I don't know if you want to single anybody out, but the best, I guess the best defense partner you had or the person you had the most chemistry with over your career. Yeah, that's a good one. And I had, I had a lot, um, when you play that long, I had my my best years of my career was I played with Mark Hardy in New York. We played, uh, I think we played about three years together. But um, you know, it was when I had my best years, when I was at my best, or I was in my prime. And that's like eighty seven, eighty eight, eighty eighty nine. Those years, uh, my first partner was Tommy Laidlaw, and played with him for about two years. And a real underrated good player, big, big defensive defenseman. I loved playing with him and kind of my first two years feeling my way around the league. And, and Tommy got traded to, to LA and um, Mark Hardy ended up coming back um, at, w- at one point, but, um, and we just uh, found real good chemistry and a guy who could skate, who competed, who, you know, had some bite to his game, but he, um, um, let me play a real offensive game and, and, and jump up a lot. So um, at that point in my career, he was the perfect partner for me when I was, you know, I would say I was in my prime and I was one of our top players and, and played um, a lot more offensive. Um, you know, later in my career, I, you know, I, I ended up playing with um, Trent Yanni in Calgary for about three years and, and we really played well off each other. We were, you know, we were different players. I was, by that point in my career, I was more of a defensive defenseman. And then at the end of my career in Buffalo, I played uh, my first two years with Jason Woolley um, and real smart player, underrated as well. Um, went to the finals, lost to Dallas in triple overtime in, in, um, in game six to lose the Stanley Cup. But um, Jason had a real good year. He scored the overtime winner in game one in, in the finals. And um, he, he was a good player too. So, uh, um, I, those are probably the, the guys I played the most with. Um, and then I, I, I will say this, my, what eventually led me into coaching my last, certainly my last four years in, in Buffalo, I was there as a depth, a, a veteran depth 
experienced type of player. And I played with young defensemen. I, I ended up playing with at times with like Jay McKee, a young defenseman, Brian Campbell, you know, in his first two years, uh, uh, Dimitri Kalina and, and Henrik Tallender um, played with four, you know, four young defensemen starting out their career who all, you know, went on to having, having real good careers. Uh, but I, I played a fair bit with Brian Campbell, loved playing with, I, I, he was such a good young player who wanted to learn. Um, he had, he had real good skills, had, had to learn how to play defense and, um, but could skate, um, love. And I, you know, I was 40 years old and, and, uh, he wanted, he loved skating the puck. So at that point I could, I could get him the puck with the, you know, when he was open and, and just tell him to go. And, and, um, I, I, he was a young player who after every shift we played, he wanted to know if he should have done something different or could he have done this or, you know, we would talk about the different situations. So um, it really was a, it became a real mentorship role for me. And, and that led into when I, you know, when I was finished playing, got a job as a coach with the Sabres. Before we get into the coaching, I just want to ask as a kid from Winnipeg, and then you find yourself uh, playing at a Madison square garden. Do you remember your first game there? And, and what did that feel like? Believe it or not, I don't. Uh, I, I remember that the era or the time or the year. I yes, I remember all of that. I remember my first game on the road. So my first game in the NHL was in Minnesota, and um, I still remember that game. I, I mean, I, I remember we lost. I remember Nikki Fatio set me up wide open, and I shot it right in the goalie's stomach, like <laughs> fairly late in the game. That you know, that uh, I had a real good scoring chance to tie the game. I remember my second game was in Winnipeg. And we won in overtime, um, you know, and obviously growing up here, like that was, that was something I will never forget. Um, and then we went to, we went on the West Coast trip and came back probably my sixth, seventh game was in New York at Madison Square Garden. Um, so I, yeah, I'll, I'll certainly remember when it was. I remember the guys on the team. I remember uh, the feeling in the rink. I remember, uh, the players on, you know, Ulf Mill or Anders Hedberg and, and uh, Pierre LaRouche. Uh, um, I mean, I remember all the players, Barry Beck and Ron Greshner and, and Rayo Rutzelainen. Um, I remember the team we had. Uh, we played really well. Uh, I played the last 12 games of the year and then played the playoffs. We lost in last game of the, uh, the first round. The Islanders beat us in uh, double overtime to, and they ended up uh, going to the final. So, um I mean, real good memories. I, I, I loved that. It was 1984 and it was, um, you know, we had a, a good team, a real good bunch of guys. But I, I, I mean, I to play in Madison Square Garden, I mean, my whole time playing there was, was an experience. It was, for the most part, it was awesome. It was, uh, they were incredibly vocal, incredibly honest fans that they would, they could boo you just as easy as they could cheer you. And you did hear it. Um, get into the coaching uh, aspect now. Obviously, it was a quick transition from playing to coaching. And I guess the first year into the second year, how did that go? When, when I started coaching, it was the t toughest thing I had was I'd, I'd played for about, played with 12 of the guys on the Sabres. And now I'm, I'm an assistant coach. Um, and it was like at no, it, it wasn't an issue, but it, for me, it was still, I still had that itch to play. I still had that, you know, and I, I would jump in, you know, be an extra guy in drills and practice. 
you know, we on game day, you had skate with the extra players. Um, I love doing that. Um, I, I mean, I, I think the first thing I realized as a um, going from a player to a coach was, and I didn't realize that as a player is all a coach wants to do is how can I help the player? How can I help him play better? How, you know, the better he plays, the better our team plays. So, you know, all, everything I'm doing is to try and help you. And, uh, and, you know, I think I tried to pass that on. I think I tried to pass on my experiences with coaches, good and bad, and what I learned over my career to, to how I was going to interact with the players and, and treat them. Um, it, it, it did go great. Um, that first year um, as an assistant coach, we, we actually won our first 12 games. So, um, you know, so as an assistant coach, I, I'm on the bench and it was like, I think we're going to win every game. Um, and we had, we ended up having a real good year. Chris Drury and, and, uh, and Danny Breer had fantastic years and uh, we had a lot of depth in the, Ryan Miller played well. We went to the semifinals and, and Ottawa beat us and went to the finals. So that, um, that was the first year of coaching. It was, um, I learned a ton, uh, you know, no matter what, you know, as a, uh, as a player that you learn all the way and you every, you know, guys have opinions, but you have to learn um, what's most important, um, you know, how to teach, how to interact, how to, um, how to break down video, um, your life as a coach, the hours you put in, uh, the amount of time studying video. Um, that was all, all new to me and, and had to learn it. And, and uh, yeah, it was, uh, I mean, I was real, real fortunate the way it worked out that Lindy, uh, a, a former teammate who brought me, you know, brought me in as a player to Buffalo. We played together in New York and had a relationship, but he uh, certainly, you know, was and still is a mentor, but uh, uh, definitely helped me so much that first year. And you've obviously learned a lot along the way. Um, assistant coach for 11 years and now head coaching the Western Hockey League of the Winnipeg Ice. What do you love so much about coaching the junior age players? I think... Um, uh, I mean, I've, I've liked the, the whole journey of coaching the whole way has been fantastic. I um, have, I was able to develop some great relationships with uh, NHL players and, and especially, you know, coaching, being an assistant coach and coaching the defense, you get real close to them. Um, I just found coming to junior, it's, it's a way, um, deeper relationship you have it's it's it goes uh, beyond just uh, talking about hockey and teaching hockey it's it's you know away from the rank is trying to develop a complete person um, trying to develop young young men moving forward in the world whether they're going to be hockey players or not that's a big part of it I I just think the the relationships go way deeper um, the the desire to learn is um, uh, is across the board from every kid is, is it's so fun it's I have um, it is even at this level it's a business and it's, it's you know for us it's about um, it's about developing uh, developing um, your players developing your team and and trying to build a winner um, and it's I think it's the same thing at the NHL level but there's it's um there is more of the business side involved there so you take that away a bit here um 
I just have so much fun interacting with the players every day. It keeps you younger. Um, it's, it's fun and they are so respectful. Uh, like I said, uh, um, I think certainly if you, um, there's, there's, there's teaching, there's respect, there's accountability, there's, there's lessons, lessons learned and there's rules to follow. But I, I find, um, I get, you know, there's a lot of respect from them and they, they want to, they want to learn. They just, they're young and they have to learn in so many different areas, so many things they haven't experienced yet. It's so fun to be a part of them experiencing first, you know, whether it's a first game, it's a first goal, it's a first fight, it's a first big play. Um, and, and, you know, those are, it's so fun to be a part of that, but then even, you know, there's setbacks and there's losses and there's, um, heartbreak along the way but to be there as a mentor and a guide and, and um, a sounding board for the young players it's it's so rewarding it's more rewarding that's probably the biggest thing compared to the NHL and last one here for you last year Peyton Krebs one of the ice players went in the first round of Vegas and then this past year Connor McLennan went in the sixth round of Philadelphia what's that like as, a, as their coach to see them get rewarded for their hard work and kind of make that step to the next level you know what it's um first of all it's it's something you're real proud of um because you you've seen the the work that they've put in you know you know and it's not just them it's it's their family and, and their support group and their teammates that are all have been a part of this um so you know certainly in in, in both cases cases you know how how hard they've worked and how much this is part of their dream and so when you do see, um, you know, you see their name picked, I mean, you just, I just feel immense pride, um, pride, excitement, and, and, uh, you know, real, uh, interest, you know, looking to see where they're, where they're going to be, uh, you know, down the line. So, um, certainly with Peyton, um, a special kid and a special player who's, he's going to, um, be connected to our organization for years to come with the, the, impact that he's had as far as um, leadership and culture and, and work ethic and um, and and you know one of the guys who came right after him and and you know I think learned from him was was Connor McLennan but also you know they, they last two years of junior they played a fair bit together um, they had great uh, chemistry out there um, and you know, I, I'm, unfortunately, I look back at, at Connor, the year he was having last year, I thought the, the month before he got hurt, he was, um, he was our best player and one of the best in the league. Um, and, and ended up, uh, you know, breaking his collarbone and, and missing the rest of the season. He was coming back the game after uh, the league got, sh the, we got shut down because of COVID. I, I even think of, you know, what could have been because of the, the level he was playing. I just think he was, he was, and I've talked to numerous scouts who thought the same thing. They said, you know, if he would have played the second year, second half of the year, you know, we would have probably have pegged him a lot higher. Nonetheless, whether you get drafted in the second round or the sixth round, it, it's not going to make you a better player or not. You're still going to have to go out and improve and, and earn it. And I think, you know, that goes for Connor. Like he's, he's at a, a level right now in his career, but he's, you know, I'm expecting big things with him over the next two years. And, uh, you know, he's going to be a, a real part of the leadership group for us and, and the success that we're going to have. He's going to, he's going to be one of the main guys driving that. And, and he wants to get better. We want him to get better. And, and we're both working towards that. So, um, but, 
you know, again, was real happy and relieved when he, when he did get picked. And I know, I know what he was going through and what the family goes through. Um, and I think, you know, moving forward, we're going to have, we're going to have a lot more kids. Uh, we're going to hear a lot more kids' names called over the next two or three years. It'll be fun. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Well, listen, Jeep, just wanted to thank you for uh, taking the time to join the show. Okay. Doc, thank you. Thanks for having me and uh, hello to everyone out there. And that'll just about do it for episode 25 of Icebreaker. If you're able, please uh, check out our uh, Movember um, donation project and uh, help me take some slap shots on AJ, but also help a great cause. If you're able, links on our social media channels at Icebreaker Show with two W's and in the bottom right of the YouTube video uh, is a QR code if you want to scan it. So we would appreciate that. I hope everybody has a great week and we'll talk to you again next week. <laughs>